Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host, Amanda Arriaga, Austin Bar President. This podcast is made possible by the Texas Bar Foundation. Today, I'm honored to have my guest, Mr. Richard Pena. He's been the first of so many organizations. He's the founder and past president of the Capital Area Mexican-American Lawyers, which we know today as the Hispanic Bar Association of Austin. He became the first Hispanic president and first minority president ever of the Austin Bar Association in 1990. Then he became the first Hispanic president and first minority president ever of the State Bar of Texas in 1998. That would be enough leadership for some people, but not for Mr. Pena. He then became the president of the American Bar Foundation in 2008. He's also been honored by many organizations, including receiving the Distinguished Lawyer Award from the Austin Bar Foundation, the Difference Makers Award from the American Bar Association General Practice, Solo and Small Firm Division, the Spirit of Excellence Award from the ABA Commission on Racial and Ethnic Diversity in the Profession, has, and he has been recognized by the Texas Bar Journal as a trailblazer, and he has received three presidential citations from the State Bar of Texas for meritorious service to the profession. As if all that wasn't enough, he's also a veteran, an author of the book Last Plane Out of Saigon, and has led multiple delegations for lawyers to go overseas and learn from their international counterparts. Mr. Pena, thank you for opening the door for me and so many others, uh, and I'm happy to talk to you today. Amanda, it's it's great being here. Thank you for asking me. Of course. I hope I uh, significantly embarrassed you with that introduction. Uh, and I hope to keep embarrassing you this entire podcast. So I'm going to ask you some questions um, so that you can tell us about your leadership journey. Is that okay? Uh, I'm here at, uh, for whatever questions you want to ask. Awesome. So in the 1980s, you founded the Capital Area Mexican-American Lawyers Association. Why was creating this organization so important to you? I think it's important that before we go there, we get a sense of history and kind of paint a little bit of picture of what it was like to be a Hispanic lawyer back in the 80s. Um, when I went to law school, there were very few Hispanic lawyers and even and very few women. I mean, you could count them on your hand. And as we graduate, I graduated from law school. Um, well, and then actually I got drafted out of my first year of law school and sent to Vietnam and left on the last day, as you mentioned. But I came back, and um, we had, I noticed that there were, you know, I opened my law office out of the back room of my duplex, and I had a little jalopy and one suit and one tie and a briefcase, and uh, had a, uh, didn't want uh, clients to see that I didn't have um, an office, and so I would meet them in their house. But that's when I got involved in in the Travis County Bar then, because I joined the lawyer referral service because they would um, uh, give you cases. So throughout that process, uh, it became clear to me that there were very few Hispanic lawyers. There was a very loose Hispanic uh, uh, Mexican-American Bar Association at the time. It was very loose, but it was created mainly for two gentlemen, two lawyers who were both vying for uh, a judgeship, county judgeship. And then it split the organization completely apart. Half went with one one of the candidates, the other half with the other candidates, and it broke up. Nobody picked it up. So I was there, and uh, I started talking to some of the others, uh, uh, Javier Medina, uh, Jim Coronado, Tommy Esparza, David Mendez. And we said, well, let's, let's you know, somebody's got to carry 
got to do this. We have uh, Hispanic population and needs representation. Um, and we need an organization for Hispanic lawyers. So we started it, and it started very humbly. We started meeting at Tommy's uh, house on West Mary, and uh, there were just the five of us over and over and over and over. Uh, somebody would met after work. Somebody would bring the tacos. Somebody would bring six-pack of beer, and there we are. So, you know, we started it. That's how it started. And at one point, I remember uh, us thinking, well, why do we keep doing this? You know, it's only us. And so then I remember saying, we've got to keep this flame alive. Someday there will be Hispanic lawyers, uh, and someday uh, they will be, uh, be a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, I, I was the first president and president for several years. And so I created a newsletter, and we started marketing ourselves. And it started working, and, and the legal community started thinking, that we were a big organization, and that's how we went it, and we're just five guys. <laughs> but we continued doing that, and then it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. We got invited to state bar functions. We became part of the fabric of the Austin Bar. And recently I went to a, a luncheon and was very gratified to see the room full of, of lawyers. Um, but it started, you know, just with an idea. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like you and your Fab Five um, accomplished a lot. And one thing that I read about you is that as a result of creating this organization, one thing you wanted to do to weave yourself in the fabric was intentionally make sure that this group of five were recognized and were really a part of the Travis County Bar Association, then now the Austin Bar Association. So you get yourself in the Austin Bar Association, and then you decide you want to be in charge of it. Why was that important? Well, you know, you'll find that uh, uh, a lot of things just happen. Actually, I, I was first started out on the board of the Lawyer Referral Service. I have mentioned that. And then, you know, there was an opening on the board of directors of the Austin Bar Association, and I moved into that. And then one thing led to another um, and uh, became an officer and then became president of the Austin Bar Association. One of the things that I've found, Amanda, is that there are a couple of basic things. I mean, there's a couple of basic rules. One is you show up for meetings. If you show up for meetings, you know, funny things happen, and you do the work, and you have some ideas, you have some vision, and a little bit of leadership qualities, and you just keep moving up. And what I've also found is, I mean, for me anyway, everybody's different, of course, but it's not about you. It's not about moving up. It's not about the titles. You know, you mentioned all these awards and titles and positions. And, yeah, I, you know, those were all true and they're, and they're great. But it's really about what you can accomplish. And it's who, what lives can you affect? What good can you do? And it's about the people you meet. That's one of the things I loved about the Austin Bar is the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, always meet new people. Um, everybody has different ideas. It's it's just really very rewarding uh, being in that environment. Do you have anything in particular that you accomplished as president of the Travis County Bar that you are proud of that you want to talk about? We um, one of the things I, I remember that we did is we started the bench bar program. Wow! And um, 
that was, I think, uh, Jan Soifer, Judge Jan Soifer, uh, and Mark Perlmutter, who has moved to San Francisco. Um, I think they wanted to do that, and we did that under in my year. But one of the things about my year, not only that, but the or, other organizations, I'm very open to ideas, and I think you should be. And if it's a good idea and it makes sense, they say, let's try it. Uh, instead of staying stay, uh, stale and same old, same old, we, we don't like same old, same old. That's not what what we're about. That's right. We should try new things and listen to new ideas and see what happens. That's right. So, you're very accomplished, uh, president of the Travis County Bar Association, and then you join the State Bar of Texas, and you eventually become their president as well. Why was it important to keep on the trajectory trajectory to keep leading at a statewide level? I've been very blessed and very fortunate, I guess. Doors open. Um, the, the way I got into the, the State Bar of Texas, it's not a mystery. I was president of the Austin Bar Association. You do a good job. Um, people recognize you. You, um, But you, you, you never, you don't do the good job because you're looking at another position. What's next? I've always found that that's a uh, recipe for disaster. Uh, I enjoy every every, you know, committee, every program, and you, and you launch yourself 100% into the program, and you want that to be a success. And then there's another one, and another one. As long as it's for the good, then there's another one. So I became a director um, of the State Bar of Texas the um, from the Austin Bar Presidency. You become a director. And then uh, you have, I believe it's a three-year term. I became president of um, the... Uh, the, uh, the Texas Bar Foundation, and then the state bar had a nominating committee, and I got a call one day, and they said, uh, we the nominating committee um, has nominated you to run for president of the state bar of Texas. Are you interested? And uh, I said, who's the other candidate? And it was a friend of mine from Austin, big firm lawyer. And I said, I'm kind of busy right now, but let me think about it. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought, hmm, this is a, this is a way that we can make some changes. We can make some change. And I said, okay. Uh, I called him back. I said, I'll do it. I'll run. And so I got on the path of running, which was a real adventure. Um, the... It's a three-month contested uh, process to run for president of the state bar of Texas. There are many other states that it's just uh, handed down and, it, you know, it's a vote of the board, not 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 state bar of Texas, and that's what makes us so unique. Uh, I believe it, at the time it was one month campaigning throughout the state, meeting lawyers. Uh, the other two months you could, you know, send letters and things of that nature. Um, I wasn't supposed to win, frankly. Um the other, my opponent was Anglo, well-known, big firm. And up to then, that was a recipe for winning if you're uh, uh, for state bar presidency. Up to then, that was a recipe. But I decided if I'm going to run and spend all this time, I'm going to win. And so I got a game plan. We got alliances throughout the state. We worked hard. We visited a lot of a lot of law firms. Um, 
I identified the critical areas, uh, San Antonio being one and, and Lubbock being the other. My opponent went to school in Lubbock, and I figured uh, I need to win that. San Antonio, I'm from San Antonio. I figured I needed to win that two to one. And so we campaigned, we campaigned, we campaigned. Um, most people, hardly anybody expected us to win. The uh, Tony Alvarado's executive director, he gave me a call on, on the, the day of, you know, the, the votes were counted. And Tony said, uh, Mr. President, congratulations. And I said, uh, how did Lubbock go? He says, you won. I said, how did San Antonio go? He says, you won two to one. I said, that's why. Um, so that launched me into the state bar presidency. The, um, but like the rest of what I've tried to do anyway, is I realized that it was an important position. I realized that it was high visibility. And for me anyway, I knew that I wasn't running to be state bar president, to be state bar president. I was running to see what changes I could make. I knew I had one year to make as many changes as I could. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the first year is the president-elect year. And that year, I, I spent the entire year making my plans for our year. And as soon as our year came, uh, we launched it on day one. Uh, next day after the election, I went back to work, you know, started, started in on, on our themes uh, besides uh, opening the, the doors to the state bar, so to speak, uh, which some people still remember that that's what happened, is that historically state bar had been viewed as kind of a, the leadership, kind of a country club leadership, big firm, white males, and when we won, uh, I got to elect uh, committees, or got to appoint committees, rather. And, uh, I, you know, you talked about uh, the other Hispanic lawyers, Tommy and David and Javier, Jim, Coronado. Um, they um, once, I mean, they, of course, came into the committees because I knew their talents, all very talented people. And in my run, I met other lawyers and very talented people who had never been a part of the state bar. Uh, when I was appointing committees, we would see people on the committees that had been there 20 years. And that was, they felt that they were entitled. A lot of entitled people on these committees. Well, they had termed out 17 years ago, so I said, thank you very much. Here's your certificate. Here's your plaque. God be with you. And we brought in a completely different, different group of people. Um, a lot of minorities, a lot of women. Um, at the time, there were very few women, very few minorities, uh, LGBTQ. Uh, you name it, you know, if they were good and belonged part of leadership or part of our committee structure, we brought them in. Was your number one change that you wanted to make was to include the voice of more females and minorities on committees? That, w that was a change. That was a thing we did. Uh, our theme uh, was restoring public trust and confidence in the legal profession. Uh, at the time, there was a lot of lawyer bashing 
and, and that has not stopped. But we decided to take on the um, those who were against lawyers, those who were against judges, because judges can't speak for themselves. So I created you know many 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 programs. Uh, one of which was a rapid response throughout the state. We had these rapid response teams. So when the judge, for example, would get bashed in the newspaper, and uh, or lawyers would get bashed uh, uh, needlessly, they would respond. And they would respond in the newspapers and uh, op-eds, things of that nature. But there, there are a lot of things we did. That was just part of what we did. Um, in some quarters, that has gotten a lot of attention. I remember when I was first Hispanic president of the Austin Bar, um, there was an article in the American Statesman about inclusion and, and, and first Hispanic. And you know, I thought it was great. And I realized that... Um, I had to be better than everybody else. And you do. If you're a minority, I mean, those are the facts. Uh, you have to be better than everybody else. And, you know, you, you uh, people are watching for a lot of reasons. People are watching. Do you think that now we have restored the public trust and confidence in the legal profession? Oh, I think that it's, it's a forever project. I agree. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it saddens me the turn that has been taken against lawyers, against judges. Mm -hmm. But it's not only here in America. I mean, it's all over the world. The rule of law is really important. I mean, it, the rule of law is the foundation of this, of the, of this country. Uh, without lawyers, without judges, without independence of the ju judiciary, you don't have the rule of law. You don't have a democracy. You don't have a country. You had mentioned that uh, I led delegations abroad. I did. You know, I have. I still do. Led uh, 19 delegations, um, and we go from one country to another. We take lawyers from Texas and and United States, and what we found is that lawyers throughout the world are standing up for justice. They're standing up for the rule of law as they know it within their country. In China, uh, lawyers are represented dissidents. And when we were there, uh, they throw the dissident in jail, they throw the lawyer in jail. We were in Turkey when Erdogan uh, started to, to crack down and started to take over and become authoritative and threw generals in, in prison. And we, we ran into... Uh, I, when I went, I went, we visited with the Bar Association of Turkey, the president and their board. And, uh, you know, I just didn't know exactly what, they, what was going on and walked in the room and said, hey, she said, why are you here? And we said, well, we want to talk about the rule of law. And she says, you really want to talk about it? I said, yes. And she says, I've, I'm going to tell you about it. In Turkey, she said, in two weeks, I and my board may be in jail. And the reason was because they had one lawyer in a criminal tri trial that was complaining to the court because he said he had a right to interview the witnesses against him, against his, de his uh, defendant uh, in a criminal case. The judge denied it and was denying 
all other due process for for people. On the day of the hearing, the uh, president of the bar association and and the board members went and sat down uh, in the courtroom. And when he issued the ruling, they sat up and they stood up and said, "We object." And the judge says, "All right, all of you are in contempt of court, and you're going to show up in two weeks because we're going to sentence you." And so she had the writing on the wall. She was trying to gather, gather pressure, international pressure, and uh, which we helped when we came back. Um, but in talking to other, went to other cities, talking to other lawyers in Turkey. Um, they were planning, I, and I talked to another bar president, and he says, um, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, we're going to go, we're going to go to the trial. There are going to be 4,000 of us from throughout the country. And we're, when they say who represents these people, we're all going to say, we represent these people. And I said, will you be thrown in jail? And he says, Maybe but we have to stand up for the rule of law. It's happening all over the world. You, ha- you see what's going on in, right now in Israel. Um, there's a movement to, uh, to do away with, with the rulings of judges. It, uh, it, it's all over the world. So the American lawyer, the, the Austin lawyer is bigger, it, it, you know, is part of a community of the Austin lawyer, a Texas lawyer, a United States lawyer, and really a lawyer uh, throughout. I mean, it, we have colleagues throughout this world all standing up for the rule of law, which is terribly important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for doing that with those delegations and continuing to do that. I think it's probably a great thing for lawyers to get a sense of what is happening throughout the world so that they know why it's so important to do what we do every day. Undoubtedly. And it's good to um, uh, learn different perspectives. We went to Cuba for, visited Cuba five times. And, um, you know, it's, it's rep- repressive, but their lawyers are standing up for the rule of law as best they can. I mean, sometimes their hands are tied, but they're thrown, being thrown in jail everywhere. Mm-hmm. Lawyers are being thrown in jail everywhere for standing up for the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we see what is happening in America with the d- deterioration of the rule of law, um, and, uh, and the, when they stop uh, teaching civics, of course, that had a lot to do with it. But when you see that, you understand how important it is for lawyers. And it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It has nothing to do with it. It's a rule of law. And for lawyers to stand up so that they can keep their country, so we can keep our democracy, it's a big deal. Because once the rule of law goes, your democracy goes. Uh, but lawyers are, you know, you heard the saying, then they came for the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um and that's undoubtedly where we are right now. Um, and I think this all started with restoring public and trust and confidence in the legal profession. Yes. Your platform from 1998 is still applicable today. I think so. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to the state bar. Uh, and you described, so before you got there, kind of country club leadership. And not that that might still be occurring, But you were the first Hispanic president, the first minority president ever of the state bar. And since you, there have been only three other minorities since 1998, with our friend Sylvia Brun de Firth becoming the first Hispanic female president 23 years later in 2021. And at the Austin bar, since you were the first 
Hispanic president, first minority president ever. And we've only had seven more minorities. And I became the first Hispanic female president 32 years later after you opened the door. Do you think it's important for us to intentionally try to diversify these leadership positions? And if so, how do we do that? It is a complex question. It's not, it doesn't have a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. And I come from this having been very active in the American Bar Association and active in their minority organizations and other organizations in the American Bar Associations. And um, the problem, as I see it, is fairly deep-seated. You have to st- you have to start looking at, and let's talk about Texas. Uh, you have to start looking at the percentages. Texas is now, and it's a percentage game. Texas is now a, a minority majority state. Uh, you have more uh, minorities in Texas than than you have Anglo's and whites. Okay. Now, you have the legal population. I think we have over 100,000 lawyers. Uh, And let's talk about Hispanics. You have, I believe, 38% of the general population is Hispanic, you know, more or less. And it's sometimes a moving target. Approximately 8% of the lawyers are Hispanic. Moving target, 5 to 8%. It stayed pretty steady. So when you have 8% of the population, the legal population that is Hispanic versus approximately 38% of the general population, those numbers don't add up. Mm-hmm. And, what is, and why is that important? Well, it's important because for our stable society and democracy, it's important that the population, that all segments of the population feel they're represented. They have to go to somebody that looks like them, talks like them, understands their background. That is the theory. Now, the reality stems back from that 8%. Let's talk about that. Because the 8% has to do with the pipeline. And that's what the ABA addresses. That's what we were addressing when that uh, we are at state bar. We're very concerned about the pipeline. Got to get the students in into into uh, high school, into college, into law school. That's what we call the pipeline. Terribly important. Um, so it, it's not only going to law school, but it's exiting. Uh, when we were working with the uh, with with law schools at the state bar, uh, the law schools did not have data. They had data. They were proud of, oh, we have so many minorities. We had admitted, yeah, but how many did you graduate? Didn't have data for that. But nonetheless, it starts, I mean, that's all a component. Then when you have a pool, and it, it, you think about numbers, it's a numbers game. If you have a pool of lawyers, you're going to have leaders that are going to rise. So, you know, you have 10, 10, 15 lawyers. Well, you're going to have one or two or three leaders that, you know, are going to rise because to the leadership positions. If you have three or four, the odds are a lot less. So in that sense, it is a numbers game. 
to get back to your question about the duty of bar associations, yeah, they have a duty. Of course they do. Uh, what their duty is, their duty is for their bar association and their leadership to be reflective of the population that they serve. That's their duty. Um, and it's not for a feel-good thing. It's because any organization is better if it's diverse. I mean, any organization. Uh, and it's it, the state bar is an example. When I went in, it became much better, much stronger, bringing in different voices. And the thing about it is, is there are there are segments of folks that uh, try to keep out minority lawyers. that are trying to be protective. Um, but that's not the attitude. I mean, the attitude is the more you, people you bring in, the more you know, the more you learn, the more fun you have. I mean, that's the, so it's everybody's responsibility. It's a joint responsibility, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you say any organization is better when it's diverse, I think you mean that diversity in all areas. I mean, I actually think the reason that I was different for the Austin Bar and for the leadership team is having a state government background. The Austin Bar is typically thought of as civil litigators. And so my background is thinking about how does state government work? How do we account for our budget? How do we handle all of those things? And so I thought my perspective was different for that reason. It's sort of an accident finding out that I am diverse because I'm also the first Hispanic female president. Um, and so that's why I think these discussions are important so that folks know um, we want to be inclusive in all the ways. The bar, it's your bar organization, mm-hmm. whether you work for a nonprofit or a law firm or a state agency or at the Capitol. All of those voices need to be included. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely right. Uh, I mean, 100%. Um, when I was president of the American Bar Association, we would bring in a board of directors. Mm-hmm. And since it's for America, uh, you know, it's a position to die for. And everyone wanted to be on it, of course. Well, we, had, we created a grid that says, okay, let's look at, our, that, let's look at how the board of directors, you know, in the past, how many have been female? How many have been minority? How many have been women? How many have been Caucasian? How many have been professors? How many have been government work workers? How many have, you know, so forth and so on. And the goal was when we're going to select, it's not that we're going to select somebody not up to the task or inferior. It's that we're going to go to those areas and select the best we can find because they need a voice. I mean, everyone needs a voice. Uh, you know, when you get your diploma, it's not, are you going to, you know, you're a trial attorney or, you know, you're plain of defense. You know, in order for this system to work, you need all segments of society. When I was running for state bar president, and I think I told you this uh, once, is that, you know, you don't go to the most popular people to get a vote. You go to everyone because every vote counts. Mm-hmm. Same deal. Every vote counts. And if you're really going to be, you know, the, the the bar association for the state bar of Texas, for the Austin bar, that that association has to have a voice for everyone. Everyone has to be feel that they're part of it. And so, and it's a healthier organization that way. It, you think about it like a body. You know, it's you know, the society is the body. 
And if your left arm is hurting, the whole body's hurting. Same deal with, with, with the Bar Association. The one thing that I have always been concerned about also is the discrimination. And discrimination is real. And sometimes it happens in, in bar associations. Sometimes it doesn't. What I found along the line is I found that there are those that would help me because I was a minority. There were those that tried to block me because I was a minority. Uh, and some that didn't care. So you have to factor all of all those are part of, you know, what, what it, what's going on here. So you have led and made major changes at the local level with the Hispanic Bar of Austin and then the Austin Bar Association at the state level with the State Bar of Texas and then at the federal level. Uh, I think most people would be tired already, but I feel like you are not tired yet. So what's next for you? Well, when uh, I became president of State Bar of Texas, Tony Alvarado, who's executive director, you know, said, I want to go to lunch. And so we went to lunch. And he said, I have a question that's been bothering me, and I want to ask you. Ask away. <laughs> Tony says, what makes you tick? What makes Richard Pena tick? And I started saying something. He said, no, don't BS me. What makes you tick? And I said, history. It's making history and making things better for people. And that work is not done. We're leading delegations this year, uh, one to the United Arab Emirates and one to Ireland, and we're going to go meet with lawyers there, and we're going to see what's going on and exchange, uh, you know, ideas, information. One of the programs that I worked with was... Uh, people-to-people ambassador program, and that was started by Dwight Eisenhower when he was president, and then it went, uh, after he left, it, it went private, and I say that because the reason he started it, he said, when people talk, they don't fight, and so that's the idea, is to go an international exchange. Uh, it's very rewarding, uh, and you feel like you're doing something. There's you know, my idea is, you know, I'm going to finish the race. And I've always kind of had the idea of whatever's next. And, and things always jump at me and somebody says, do you want to do this? I'll check it out. I'm sure. And I, I would advise that for everyone is if somebody says, do you want to be on some committee? Say, Yeah. I mean, why not? Just because you don't know the area doesn't mean you can't be on the committee and can't learn the area. Mm -hmm. That's how I became president of or chair of the Immigration Commission of, of the ABA. Um, but it's important for those who get into position of leadership. It is very important to speak out in your own way, to speak out. And it's important to bring others behind you. Uh, I remember at one of our, I think it was State Bar Delegate, uh, the ABA lunch uh, breakfasts, uh, we looked around the room and something came up about a minority because we had a position to fill. And I said, look around the room. 
you know, I love, love being part of your club, but everybody's white. You know, do you see something wrong with this picture? And they said, oh, you mean like no minorities? I said, yeah. And one of the big firm fellas says, I know one down the hall from my big firm. And I thought, that's what's wrong with this picture. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, what I found also is when you get in positions of leadership, and you may have found this too, is that a lot of it is just benign. Uh, people don't think about it. They don't think about diversity. There's a position open and they have their friend and they want their friend to come in. And the grid I told you about, the American Bar Foundation, we presented that to the Austin Bar. Uh, started out with uh, the Distinguished Lawyer Award and then talking to the executive director, it is being used, at least looked at, by other committees because it's important. But it's also important for the person who is the minority because there are not a lot of us that are going to become you know, part of leadership, but it's important for us to do what you're doing right now with these podcasts, to do what other people are doing, to do what I've done, to, that we have to lift other. If, if you see a, a rising star that's minority, um, I was like, hey, can we go to lunch? And I remember one time I had a case against a, a young lawyer. Well, we were both young. <laughs> but uh I said, let's go to lunch. We're going to lunch. I said, you should be a judge. Me? Yeah. She became a judge. Because I'm not saying that's a reason, but that's what you should be doing. That's what we should, you know, those of us in leadership, we have a responsibility. We have a duty. It's not about, I mean, I, I've stopped putting things on my resume. I mean, a long time ago. I mean, you know, it's not the titles. It's what you do with the titles. It's what you do with that position and how you help people and affect change. You know, our country's going through crisis right now, and you can't stand on the sideline. This is not the time to stand on the sideline uh, because the, everyone's needed. Everyone is needed. Well, and one thing you and I have talked about in the past, uh, and we can talk about it if you're comfortable, is the idea of opening these doors. So you become in a leadership position, and then you get an award like the Distinguished Lawyer Award from the Austin Bar mm -hmm. Foundation, which the new recipients are selected from the former winners. Uh, and you shared a story with me about how once you became part of that group of being able to select, you were also very intentional about who it is that should be looked at to receive that award. Yeah, <laughs> that, that brings up a point. Uh, when you become get you know, awards or be in a position of leadership, you're going to have to address issues that are uncomfortable. And you need to, as uncomfortable as that is, even though you're the only voice in the room, if you're right, by God, you've got to say it. Um, we were selecting great lawyers. I mean, they're great lawyers in, in, in Austin, I mean, wonderful lawyers. But we were selecting from those that, that the former awardees knew. You know, trial lawyers and, and, and you know, I, you know I, I handle cases uh, that are uh, adversary all the time, I mean, daily. But it's not the whole bar. 
and I presented them with the grid that I, we had developed at the Austin Bar Foundation. I said, look around the room. You know, how many, how many minorities here? How many Hispanics? And, you know, you don't shame them, but they want to get their person in. And that's always a give and take because there's always the next person in line for that position. I think that compromise was we just added another slot or something. But uh, ever since then, we have gotten my minorities in, um, people you know, people I know. But it's not that, and it's not that they're not qualified. It's that no one ever thought of them. And we're trying to change that. Yeah, I think that is a wonderful influence that you had. Uh, and I very much resonate with this idea of making changes, even when it's uncomfortable, but when it's the right thing to do. So I thank you for doing that as well. It makes me feel less alone. <laughs> well, you're going to be alone a lot of times. But one of the things you're going to find is that if you're right, and you speak up, people will follow you, even though you don't realize it, but they're watching. I remember when I got uh, the award for the Distinguished Lawyer of the Austin Bar. Um, we received it in a big ballroom and big function, and uh, so I, got, I had just come back from Cambodia with a delegation and um, so I was walking to the podium. I mean, I had landed the day before back in America. And I was walking to the podium, and I threw away my speech because I looked at the audience, and I said, I didn't know anybody was watching because you don't do it for people that are watching. But then I told them the story of how there were like 800 lawyers in Cambodia who didn't even have a yellow pad to write on or pens. And, you know, I don't forget how many millions, two, three, four, five million people for 800 lawyers. And they were trying to piece together their country and the rule of law. And when we were there, they were, write, you know, writing the Constitution. And we met with them on the top uh, floor of this house Sort of reminded me of Declaration of Independence uh, or the Texas uh, Independence meetings when these guys, no, no air condition, and uh, I say guys, there were some females, not very many, you know, had pencil, yellow notepad. I mean, I've, when I, at, at the banquet, I felt like picking, you know, just collecting money and sending them supplies. But it's all over the world. Uh-huh. It's all over the world, but yes, into what you're saying, but you've got to be right. Uh-huh. And you know if you're right. You know, you listen to that little voice inside of you, and if you're on the side of justice and what is best, then you're right. What advice would you give to any lawyers in the Austin legal community who want to get involved but don't know how? Oh, you seen that Nike commercial? Uh-huh. Just do it. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard. You, you, 
you uh, join a committee, you can start by joining a committee at the Austin Bar. So something that interests you. There are a lot of people, you know, we have a very vibrant Hispanic Bar Association, very bright, vibrant. And the goal is for those folks in particular to join a, a, a committee in the Austin Bar and just join a committee and then show up and then do the work and meet people and diverse. You have to diversify individually as well as diversify you know, the profession. So every individual should be diverse. Um, you know, you join, join the, the, the bar associations, do the work, you know, but showing up is where it starts. Mm-hmm. Well, those are all of the structured questions that I had for you. And we have a few minutes left. Is there any other sage advice that you would love to give to our viewers? Well, I think it's important to enjoy the ride. I think it's important to enjoy the journey. We deal with a lot of very combative issues many times, and we're very passionate. We wouldn't be lawyers if we were not passionate. But Bill Whitehurst once, uh, when he was president of the Young Lawyers of Texas, wrote an article called Smell the Roses. And I akin it to uh, enjoy the ride. And many times you'll find when you get to the top of the mountain, if you will, the top of the mountain being the presidency of whatever, these, all these organizations, um, you'll realize, one, it's very lonely at the top. And two, the worthwhile and fun things were getting there. I mean, not in a bad way, but the people you met, the things you did, how you affected change, just getting there. So enjoy the ride and never do anything for yourself. Never, ever do something because you're climbing. It's never going to work out. Do things for the right reason. I mean, life's simple. Just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It really is. And listen to the little voices inside of you. Sometimes you'll have to do things that you never would imagine will produce anything profitable or good for you, and they will, if you listen to yourself. When I was running for state bar president, uh, you know, nobody thought I was going to win. I thought, well, I don't know what to do. How to start? I went to Jim Sales, who is a legend, of course, in the, st- in the state bar of Texas. I said, and I knew Jim, and he knew me too. And he, he said, I said, Jim, what advice can you give me in running for president? He says, follow your instinct. You'll be fine. And that's the advice I would impart on other people. Follow your instincts. Speak up when it's not uncomfortable. Enjoy the ride. Well, thank you so much. You've given us great advice today. Uh, I appreciate you being with us here. And um, until next time, we'll have another episode soon. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all.